This episode of Nerd Cave Retro is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash nerdcave. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. You're listening to the Nerd Cave Network. programs and welcome back to another edition of the nerd cave retro show my name is jason robbins and i'm derek diamond oh what a week it has been and i'm so glad to be back talking about retro games because i need some sort of respite from this awful awful week that i have had (laughs) yeah we were talking before we started airing um you know sometimes life just kicks you in the ass yeah it's weird. and i know no, I've, I've had i've had one of those weeks as well you know it's been uh you know between my crazy work schedule and just trying to get things ready with you know this show my show the movie i'm starting to work on and yeah. all other kinds of stuff going on you know it it can be it can be a little much sometimes but you know as we record this we're recording this on a sunday night um the the baseball team I work for is going on the road for a week and a half, so I'll actually have a normal work week nice. and a weekend. I, I've almost forgot what those are. So, yeah. so yeah, I, I'm I'm glad to be here too. I, I'm I've been really excited about doing the show all day. Yeah, I knew that that the universe was going to balance itself out because I had such a good week the week before. Uh, going to New Jersey and going to win some awards at the Hang On To Your Shorts Film Festival for Monsters Anonymous and getting to hang out with Joey Image. I got to go to Jay and Silent Bob's Secret Stash. Had such a good week. And then I come back here and my entire week has just been one giant elephant shit sandwich yes. since Monday. <laughs> and that's as nicely as I can put it. I'm sorry if there are children in the car, but kids, sometimes life gives you a giant uh um let's see some dookie soft serve and a giant um uh, ice cream cone and sometimes you just got to eat that big dookie soft serve and grin and bear it and just try to get through it as best as you can so get prepared kids i'd hate to see the size of the bread in that sandwich you were talking about oh, it was big it was a nice it was it was like imagine like just a big like uh french bread loaf with a big giant uh, elephant turd right in the middle of it. <laughs> I was thinking that or maybe like a giant thick slice of sourdough bread. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, we're here now. We're talking about retro gaming, so it's going to be a better week. Absolutely. Tomorrow's a new week. Uh, th- this caps off the week for me right here uh, on Sunday nights doing this show. Tomorrow's a brand new day, a brand new week, and let's uh, let's get positive, forget that this last week ever happened, and uh, let's go ahead and move into the news. What do you say? Sweet. If I can get it to play. There we go. So one of the stories we've been following for quite a while now, the new Atari VCS pre-orders start on May 30th, but it won't ship until 2019. I pulled this there. There's a lot. You can pretty much find this anywhere on the Internet, but I pulled this article off of Engadget. Uh, nearly a year after it was first revealed, retro gaming enthusiasts will finally be able to pre-order the Atari VCS beginning May 30th via an Indiegogo crowdfunding campaign. They'll be offering two versions of the system, a time-limited collector's, collector's edition featuring the faux wood front paneling for $200. Um, oh no, that one that one doesn't say how much that one is, but there's the $200 Onyx edition, which is just black. Um, it doesn't appear that either of these options will include a controller as the announcement reads. Other packages will include the classic joystick and modern controller. 
um, blah, blah, blah. Company is still tight-lipped as to what you will actually be able to do with the VCS. However, the system will come preloaded with Atari Vault, a 100-plus game collection of classic Atari games like Asteroids, Centipede, Missile Command, and it will reportedly be able to support a full range of popular modern titles, though nobody knows what those will be yet. I don't trust this as far as I could... Well, I'd say throw it, but I could probably throw this thing pretty far. But I don't trust this at all. Do you? So on this week's episode of As the Atari Turns, we get a vague mention of a date. Yeah. Um, no, I I don't either. I, I just feel like... I mean, in theory, this whole thing is kind of cool. Like, I'm looking at the picture of... You know, the old wooden console with the joystick and then a what looks like a similar to an Xbox 360 controller. Yeah. In theory, it sounds cool, but I don't know. Maybe it's just because I didn't grow up with the Atari that I just feel no real attachment to it. Yeah, but I did. That was my very first gaming console that I got uh, for Christmas in 1983. And now I know why my parents got it for us. Because they only paid probably about $20 for it after the, the video game crash of 1983. Like, here, kids, here's yeah. a video game system. We, we paid so much for this, so this this is your big present for this year. My parents got off light that year. I mean, they owe me. Um, but it says, <laughs> <laughs> says the VCS will support 4K resolutions, HDR, and a 60 frames per second gameplay. Uh, it will offer both internal and external storage, built-in Wi-Fi, USB 3, and Bluetooth 5 capabilities, and it has partnered with AMD for the console's processor. That's a, that's a pretty good uh, engine they've got under the hood, but at the same time, they you know are they going to have any... You know, first-party games or third-party games? Like, who are the third-party software people going to be making games for this? This is a, you know, if all you're going to get on this thing is the Atari vault <laughs> of the old games, like, that's a bit of overkill for just, uh, you know, centipedes and asteroids. Yeah, I mean, it says a full range of popular modern titles, but again... But and, and this and this is kind of the the consistency of this whole story that's been unraveling is that they always leave out important details yeah. like that. Like if you if you if you drop some you know developers or some titles, then you might entice me. But with you saying a popular a range of popular modern titles, what does that mean? Exactly. I mean, uh, are they gonna you know are they gonna have the newest uh, like why don't they partner with like uh, Activision and do like the next Call of Duty uh, to be like you know their launch title or something like do they even have a launch title like what are you gonna be able to play on this thing when you get it you know when they if I say if they ever fulfill their orders and this thing actually gets made what's it gonna ship with does it have a pack in game or is it just a really expensive uh, you know, retro console, like, you know, like the, um, the Atari, uh, controllers that you buy at like, you know, Walgreens that has like 30 Atari games on it. Is it, is it basically a souped up version of that? I mean, come on. We don't know. And the sad thing is, is they probably don't even know either. I, I, I don't. This thing just has, it smelled gross since the beginning. This thing, it smells fishy and I, I don't like this at all I would compare this to if you were at a flea market and you would see like this table off in the corner that has like maybe a a black tent over it and this like shady looking guy is like hey come over here and see what I got in the tent that's what this reminds me of <laughs> yeah that's exactly it so we'll to kind of go off on a side note did uh have I ever told you my funny Wi-Fi story like when it, whenever you were reading the you know 4k resolution built-in Wi-Fi all that stuff it, it, whenever I think of Wi-Fi, I think of this story. And this is a complete side note, but I think the listeners will find it funny. So when I was in college, there was a Whataburger that was like a block from where I went to college. And we would go there for lunch, you know, at, at least once a week just because we could walk there practically. Yeah. And you know how they have the sign in front of the door? It's like a little sticker that says free Wi-Fi. Mm -hmm. So we're waiting in line and this these two guys and 
us both living in the South, we can appreciate this type of thing. So the guy's making his order and the lady's like, oh, do you want anything else? He's like, yeah, can I get one of those free Wheaties you guys are offering? <laughs> and I'm, it took everything for me to just not bust out laughing at this guy. Free Wheatie. What yeah, exactly getting one of them free Wheaties, sir. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, we're all out. No, we fresh but, uh, out, man. <laughs> uh, our next story uh, comes to us from NintendoLife.com. I actually think I tagged you in this yes, on Facebook. Yes, you did. And I, immediately, I knew you would love it. <laughs> my jaw hit the floor as soon as I saw it. So the article reads, Mega Man 2 and X are getting limited edition cartridges and we want them all. They'll work with your NES and SNES too. With the Mega Man 30th anniversary now upon us, Capcom is pulling out all the stops to celebrate. <clears throat> Excuse me. Not only have we got Mega Man 11 coming alongside the two Legacy Collections, we've also got these limited edition cartridges for Mega Man 2 and X. They will even work on your old NES slash SNES. Both packages are limited to 8,500 copies and each come with a premium box, instruction booklet, and some ultra-collectible retro art on the packaging. Oh, and one in eight copies randomly chosen will get a glow-in-the-dark blue cartridge instead. That sounds nice. That is awesome. I might actually, and I've been thinking about this because I know Mega Man has kind of become a running gag on this show because <laughs> I've never really played a Mega Man game. I've been thinking about playing Mega Man X because it's on the SNES Classic. Yeah, I mean, it, it. I haven't played it very much, but it, it's worth playing. I actually have it, uh, a, a, a ROM of it on my emulator, so I play it occasionally. Yep. <laughs> I can't find a copy of it out in the wild, so I have to do what I got to do. Um, I'm actually yep. looking on here, the uh, Mega Man 2 Classic cartridge. Uh, apparently it's still available. I want to get one of these, but I got to wait a few weeks because, uh, I spent a lot of money in Jersey. So mm -hmm. trying to build my savings back up, but I really do want this, uh, classic NES cartridge. It looks like it, it's, it's so, it looks so good. You just want to lick it <laughs> <laughs> like sherbet. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm definitely thinking about getting the Mega Man X cartridge because I've been I've been getting the itch a little bit, like I said, to to try these games out. So who knows? You can't I, go I do wrong. think it's really cool that they're doing this, though. Oh, yeah. You can't go wrong with Mega Man. I mean, if you've never played any Mega Man games before, just just jump in anywhere. I recommend starting with Mega Man 2 um, and then go back and play Mega Man 1. Because Mega Man 1 is ridiculously hard. Uh, and Mega mm -hmm. Man 2 is sort of like the... Uh, uh, it, it You know, it's the... It's the McDonald's of Mega Man games. <laughs> you know, it's like it's the one everybody knows. It's the one everybody loves. It's, it's the classic Mega Man game. So that kind of gets you into the world of Mega Man and kind of how the mechanics of the game work and all that kind of stuff. So, But if you want to start with Mega Man X, dude, do it. It like I, I love Mega Man. Um, and actually, if you want to be a Patreon subscriber to the PCP show, my um, the some of the subscribers to PCP show actually get a monthly avatar drawn by me. And this month's avatar was for Mega May, and I drew Mega Man for the avatar. Nice. So I might, I might That's send fantastic. you one, Derek. I'll just send you one just to have. Oh, <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, but coming up in our next story, uh, let's see. What do we got next? Oh, this is kind of weird. Uh, coming to us from Variety. Let me click off this auto stuff they have on here. Uh, U.S. is investigating Nintendo for alleged Switch patent infringement. Um, the Nintendo is under investigation by the U.S. Internal Tr International Trade Commission for possible patent infringement. 
mobile gaming accessory maker GameVice claims Nintendo's new Switch console infringes on its patents for attachable handheld controllers. The GameVice connects to an iOS or Android device and allows gamers to play on their smartphones or tablets using traditional analog joysticks and buttons instead of a touchscreen. While it was designed for a variety of devices, the Switch's Joy-Con controllers were made to work exclusively with the hybrid console. Um, uh, this is not the first time the Game Vice has sued Nintendo over the Switch. It filed a lawsuit last August, but decided to drop the case voluntarily. But it now believes Nintendo violated the Tariff Act of 1930 by importing and selling the Switch and is now asking the USITC to issue cease and desist orders which could stop shipments of the console to the U.S. What do you think about this? Like, if this passes and they stop um, you know, uh, shipments of the Switch to the United States, this is going to make a lot of people mad. Yes. I, I was shocked when I initially read this because I've never heard of this, you know, of Game Vice. But looking at the picture, I mean, if, if they design this first and they have the patent for it, that's going to make things very, very interesting. Yeah. I mean, it It sort of... I mean, it does resemble yeah. the Switch, but at the same time, it's sort of like... It's one of those things where... I mean, I understand that it's a patent and all that kind of stuff, but this sort of seems like the kind of thing that is a natural progression of gaming, especially, you know, handheld gaming um, and, you know, the Nintendo Switch being a hybrid console... I don't think they intentionally, um, you know, stole no. the idea, but I don't know. I, I, I don't think maybe Nintendo should just give them like some sort of, uh, residuals or something. I don't know because I don't think they should stop making or stop shipments of the switch because of this. No. No, because how many people actually have this, like the thing that they made, uh, Game Vice? I mean, this is made for. Um, I mean, if you look at it, it looks like it sort of looks like the um, the the Switch controllers, but you hook a, a a phone between the controllers to be able to use it, sort of like a you know a portable gaming device. Um, yeah. So. I don't know. I just I don't know what to think about this. It, I I think if they do stop shipments of the switch eh, a lot of people are going to be angry about this yeah this is going to be an interesting one to follow for sure but i also think nintendo has enough money to throw at this to make it go away yeah just slip slip some hush money under the table and yeah <laughs> that could be the end of it that's what i would do to be honest yeah but our last story also comes to us from Variety.com. SNK Neo Geo Mini allegedly revealed in leaked photos. Last month, Japanese, hard, or Japanese video game hardware and software company SNK teased a 40th anniversary mini edition of its Neo Geo console on Twitter. And now we might know what it looks like thanks to a leak by an anonymous source. YouTuber Spawnwave posted a video on Thursday which details on the new Neo Geo Mini. It looks like a tiny arcade cabinet with a three and a half inch screen, built-in analog joystick, and buttons. There's also an HDMI port for people who want to play on a bigger screen, and of course, along with a standard headphone jack. Ports on either side of the mini allow one to two players to plug in wired black and white USB-C controllers. And uh, if anybody wants to look this up, the photo is at the top of the article. What what do you think about this? If this is true, Ugh, I don't like this at all. Yeah. It looks so small. Yeah, it looks like those, um, you know, like you can go to Target right now and get like an old um, centipede machine or whatever. I actually have one on the shelf behind me. I could grab it. Um, but uh, let me just, for the people looking, let me just turn around and grab this real quick. Alright, everybody watching the video, I have an old Cubert machine here. And this is Yeah, I've seen those things before. Yeah, this is what the Neo Geo is actually gonna look like, is this little thing. Um, but it has an HDMI port out that you can put to the television. 
but I don't see the point in this. I don't I don't see this thing selling really well. I think if you're going to do some sort of mini console, it needs to be an actual console and not like, you know, yep. a little cheap looking toy with a tiny little screen on it. I mean, even if you had an HDMI out to your television, why are you going to use are you going to use that as as the actual like controller? Like I don't get that at all. That makes no sense to me. No, it doesn't make sense at all. It just looks uncomfortable to play. And like you said, if you're, if I were to have this, I would leave it plugged into the TV so I could actually play it on the TV. But then what's the point of this whole setup? Why not just do a little console? Exactly. I mean, and unless they made, you know, like a, a port on the side of it where you could actually plug in some sort of uh, controller to be able to play away from it and watch the TV, you know, and play it like a console, I could understand that. But you're going to have to hold this little thing with the little screen on it while you're playing it on the actual television. And to me, that is just stupid. I agree 100%. I don't know what else to say about that. Well, I guess we'll we'll keep an eye on it and we'll find out if, if this leak is real or not. Yeah. But, um, but let's go ahead and we'll move into this month in video game history. In May 2nd, uh, May 22nd of 1980, Namco releases Pac-Man, originally Puck-Man in Japan. It becomes the highest grossing game of all time. It has the first gaming mascot character, established the maze, the maze chase genre, opened gaming to female audiences, introduced power-ups, and featured cutscenes. I mean, what can you say about Pac-Man? It's one of the greatest video games of all time. Other than the the Atari version. Yeah. I mean, Pac-Man's, you know, one of the top three, I think, most recognizable games of all time. And one of the most recognizable characters of all time. I mean, who doesn't know Pac-Man? Yeah, I mean, he's been around longer than Mario. And he was just as recognizable as Mario. I think even to this day, you could probably ask a little kid who, you know, hold up a picture of Pac-Man and be like, who is this? And they would know it was Pac-Man. Yeah. Yeah, so, such a fun game. I haven't played Pac-Man in a long time, but yeah. Miss Pac-Man is still one of my favorite games of all time. Like every time I see a Miss Pac-Man machine, I have to play it. <laughs> uh, in May of 1980, Stratavox from Sun Electronics is the first video game with voice synthesis. I've never heard of this game, but that's a really fun trivia question. Yeah, um, I wonder if this is uh, if they talked about this on the video game years. Because uh, I don't remember this game at all. Because um, there are a lot of games I've heard that you know that had featured voice synthesis in those early days, and it was rough back then because it took up a lot of memory to to save those voice files. So they just didn't do it very often. Yeah, it's still an interesting fact, though. Yeah. Uh, in May of 1985, Namco releases Metro Cross. Uh, and Metro Cross is a platform arcade game that was released by Namco in 1985. It runs upon Namco Pac-Land hardware, um, but with a video system like that used in Dragon Buster modified to support a 2048 color palette. Um, I, it, I don't remember this game either. It kind of looks almost like... Um, uh, what's that game? TNC Surf Designs? It almost looks like that. That might be what I'm thinking of because I'm looking at the screenshots and the look and everything looks very familiar. Yeah. But I might be thinking of the game you're talking about. Uh, it was re-released as part of Namco Museum Vol Volume 5 for PlayStation and uh, the, Vir the Namco Museum Virtual Arcade for Xbox 360. Uh, a high-definition sequel called Aerocross was being developed for the Xbox Live Arcade and PlayStation Network as part of the Namco Generations line until it was canceled, along with the Namco Generations brand itself being discontinued. Um, I never heard about that. I didn't know that happened. Mm -mm. Weird. No, I haven't heard of that either. But also in May of 1985, Konami releases Gradius, a.k.a. Nemesis. 
Never heard of this game. Oh, you've never heard of Gradius? Gradius is uh, Gradius, sorry. one of the greatest side-scrolling side shooters that you can get for the NES. Uh, let me see. Was this the... I'm trying to remember the, if it was the sequel to... Um, was it... A sequel? Uh, it's... Uh, no, it was the... No, it was the... First one, it was uh, Gradius, and then Life Force was the the sequel to um, mm-hmm. to Gradius. And then there was Gradius 2, which was, uh, it bared no relation to the MSX game title Gradius 2. Gradius II is the sequel to Gradius in terms of chronology. Well, that starts to go into uh, Final Fantasy territory right there. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then there was Gradius 3, but there was also Nemesis, which was going along at the same line, same time as that. So it it was weird back then when they had everything was named different things between uh, Japan and America, and also in yeah. the PAL region too. A lot of things would be named different names, so it's hard to to keep a track of a lot of this stuff and and know which game was which and which one was the sequel to what. Makes you wonder why in the world they did that in the first place. I know, but if you've never played Gradius, dude, you, you got to play some Gradius. That that is a I've, that is I that is down, so. up there as one of those Nintendo must-haves as Gradius. I'll keep on the lookout for it. Uh, also, in May of 1985, Capcom releases Commando, a vertically scrolling on-foot shooter which inspires many games with similar themes and gameplay. And no, it is not based off the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Uh, it was basically... Oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah, it was It was one of those games uh, that fell into that um, genre of, like, uh, Akari Warriors and... Um, uh, you know, Jackal and things like that. Um, that kind of top-down run-and-gun shooter sort of genre. That was a big genre back in the mid-'80s. I don't know what happened to that genre. Well, I I know there's still games that come out sort of, you know, that, that do that. But, man, that was... That, that genre's heyday was in the mid-'80s. Yeah. No, I've, I've never played of this game, but I've definitely heard of it. I see you know, it the, for the, sale. There's one screenshot on Wikipedia. I've definitely seen it, but never played it. Yeah, I see this game for sale all the time at the retro shop. I may pick up a copy of it one of these days. In May of 1990, Ninja Gaiden 2, The Dark Sword of Chaos, known in Europe as Shadow Warriors 2, The Dark Sword of Chaos, was released by Tecmo for the NES. The game was later released for the Commodore, Amiga, and DOS-based PCs by GameTech. In 1991. Uh, and I actually might be reviewing this next week because I bought this a couple of weeks ago um, at the retro store and I've been playing the hell out of this game. It's I didn't like it when I was a kid. I actually had a copy of it, um, but I never finished the first Ninja Gaiden and I still haven't to this day. But when I, I, I don't know, I guess I just never got into the second one because it was... It, it, it was the, kind of the, the same aesthetic as the first game, but at the time I didn't realize, you know, the things that it did differently and the things that it improved upon. But now that I'm older, mm-hmm. I can really appreciate what that game did for the Ninja Gaiden saga. And it is a very, very good game. I can't wait to hear more about it. Uh, and also to round us out for this month in video game history, on May 6th of 1991, Sierra Online releases the Sierra Network, which is also credited as the first graphical MM- MMORPG due to its inclusion of The Shadow of Eserbius. TSN would later become its more memorable name, Imagination Network, after a total buyout from AT&T in 1994. AT&T seems like a random company to buy out something like the Imagination Network. I know, that's weird. I, I guess that must have been the beginning of AT&T's reign uh, of terror for the last 25 years. I know it's been a while, but we, I know we have talked about Sierra Online before on this show. But I think it's been oh, a while. Have. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about a lot of the games that you could play um, on the Sierra Online Network. Um, especially just the Sierra games, you know, like the King's Quest games and things like that. Sierra was one of those, um, you know, publishers that were just cranking games out back in the, uh, you know, 
early to, to late 80s into the 90s, um, pretty much every single This Month in Video Game History had some has some sort of Sierra release on it. Yeah, that, that was one of the things that I remembered us talking about. But, um, but let's but yeah, go ahead that, and... And I wanted to ask you, Derek, have you started on the new Star Wars book you were going to start listening to? Well, unfortunately, I have not because of my week not being exactly the greatest, much like yours. But I am going to start it this week. So I will say if I can pull up the uh, the app real quick, my phone's acting up for some reason. Uh, but for you, the listeners of the Nerd Cave Retro Podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Um, my recommendation is going to be um, Last Shot by Daniel Jose Older. It's a Han Solo Lando Calrissian story that ties into the upcoming Solo film, which now that we're in May, I mean, it comes out in a couple of weeks which is insane to think about. I know. <laughs> I can't wait to see it. I'm excited for it. I am too. I actually think it's, it's going to be really good. I think it's going to be a really fun movie. And I think that's what we need, like yeah. a Star Wars fans need. Absolutely. Uh, but other than that, they have a ton of other books to choose from, fiction, nonfiction, romance, sci-fi, gaming. Uh, they have a ton of gaming series. They have Mass Effect, Gears of War, Halo, World of Warcraft, I keep emphasizing this every week, but they have everything that you would want as far as a reader goes. No matter what you like, Audible's going to have something that you like. And it's a free trial. And mm-hmm. a little secret, if you if you download Audible and you get your book and you decide you don't like Audible itself, you still get to keep the book. You get to keep it it's forever free. and ever and ever. It's, <laughs> it's yours. It's free. So to do that... Go to audibletrial.com slash nerdcave. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash nerdcave for your free audiobook download and 30-day free trial. Well, let's hear a little music about what we're going to be talking about this week. Such catchy music. <laughs> so this week I'm going to be reviewing the sequel to the hit N64 game Banjo-Kazooie, Banjo-Tooie. It is a platform video game developed by Rare and published by Nintendo for the N64. It was first released on November 20th, 2000 in North America and in April of 2001 in Europe It was also later released uh, on the Xbox Live Arcade in April of 2009, which um, once Rare went over to Microsoft, I I was really happy that they did that because, you know, I I had, I mean, I still have one, but when I had the 360, I didn't play, I haven't played a ton of games for it, even outside of Halo. It really just kind of sat there. It was a glorified DVD player to me, Hmm. but when... Rare announced that they were re-releasing and remaking these games. I, I was ecstatic for it because you know, when I reviewed Banjo-Kazooie months ago, I said it was one of my top five, possibly even top three N64 games. And I still say that. But I feel like it's sequel, and it felt like it took forever for this game to come out. Because in Banjo-Kazooie, there's a little tease at the end for the sequel. Now, it only took two years, which now doesn't seem like that long, but back then, like, I was just wanting anything related to this game. Like, I followed it, you know, on IGN, multiple news sites, anywhere I could get news from, I was wanting to find out more information about this game. Now, to describe a little bit about it, um, it's an it's a platformer, much similar to, you know, Mario 64 and other platform games of that era. Mario 64 was kind of the game that set the standard and the foundation for the 3D platformer. And to me, Banjo-Kazooie took it to another level with adding more collectibles, a cool storyline, fun characters. And the sequel kind of expanded on that. 
And I feel like this game is just as good. May I would say Banjo-Kazooie is slightly better, but this game's right up there with it. And I felt like it still got a little overlooked in its heyday and still to this day because people love Banjo-Kazooie so much, those who grew up around that time, mm. but no one ever really talks about the sequel. And there's a lot of cool things about it. You know, there, the story, and it may seem weird because of the characters and the setting, but it's actually kind of a darker game because one of the main characters is killed in like the first two minutes wow. of the game. <laughs> so you're also on kind of like a revenge quest in a way. But uh, to tell a little bit about the story, uh, two years following Gruntilda, who is the witch, uh, uh, the villain of the first game, Two years after her first defeat by Banjo and Kazooie, um, Banjo and Kazooie are playing poker with their friends Mumbo Jumbo and Bottles the Mole in Banjo's house. Meanwhile, Gruntilda's sisters, Mangella and Blobelda, arrive in a large digging machine, the Hag One, and destroy the boulder, trapping Gruntilda with a magic spell. Unfortunately, her time spent underground has rotted her flesh away and reduced her to a skeleton. Seeking revenge, she destroys Banjo's house before fleeing with her sisters. Banjo, Kazooie, and Mumbo escape the house, but Bottles, who stays behind believing it's all a joke, gets caught in the blast and is killed. So the three remaining track down Gruntilda to get revenge. That is freaking dark, man. <laughs> and, and, and you look at the, the characters and you're like, this would never happen. <laughs> it's, it's pretty crazy, but um, to tell everybody a little bit about why I love these two games so much, I, I grew up, you know, playing the Mario games, so I, I had an early love for platformers. And these two games just offer so much replayability between the collectibles, the story, uh, the various worlds. So say in Banjo-Tooie, your main hub world is the island that the witches live on. It's called the Isle of Hags. And from there, you go into different sub-worlds. Like you have... Um, a Mayan temple, you've got a mine, you've got a rundown carnival called Witchy World, which is my favorite world in the entire game. Um, you've got this area called Hailfire Peaks, which are two mountains. One is fire and one is ice, and they're right next to each other. So you go from the contrast between the lava world and the ice world. So there's so much variety and everything, every world offers a different experience. Um, the worlds in Banjo-Tooie are obviously bigger. Um, the ones in Banjo-Kazooie are decent in size, but they're not that big. But they get a little bit bigger as the game goes on. But Banjo-Tooie, the worlds are huge, some almost too big. Hmm. And that that would, might be why I would knock this game a little bit. And it really pushed the N64 to its limits and sometimes past its limits because one of my other gripes with the game and thankfully they fixed this when they did the Xbox Live version, but in the N64 version, the frame rate, you can tell, decreases a little bit towards the end of the game. Like the last two worlds, there are a little bit of a struggle to get through because yeah. you can tell that the console's struggling a little bit. So do you prefer to play this on the remake? Like the if yes. you have an Xbox 360? Um, would you, are you still able to play this? Like if it was an Xbox live game, can you still play this on the Xbox one? Uh, yes, I believe you can. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. But it, all was, in all, um, you know it was in 2015, the Xbox live arcade version of the game was included as part of the rare replay video game compilation for Xbox one. So mm -hmm. get to play it on there. Yeah. Along with that, the original game. Uh, Conquers Bad Fur Day and several other rare games that came wow. out around that time. That's a good deal. Oh, for sure. Now, the main reason why I wanted to review this game this week was because, you know, two weeks ago I reviewed Sonic the Hedgehog 3. And we were talking about how you could, <clears throat> excuse me, basically link the uh, Sonic and Knuckles game, which had a removable top where you could put another controller on top of it. Yeah. Rare tried something similar that ultimately failed, and it was this concept that they introduced in the tease uh, at the end of Banjo-Kazooie called Stop and Swap. 
So the the tease was if you beat the original Banjo Kazooie and you got all the jigsaw pieces, you would watch this cutscene where Mumbo Jumbo, who is a shaman, would show you these what looked like old Polaroids, but they were there was like a picture inside of it, and it showed Banjo and Kazooie going to the previous worlds, like some of the previous worlds they had gone to, to unlock special items that you could get. So say there was a world called Treasure Trove Cove, which is like a a beach slash pirate type area. And there's an island called Shark Food Island um, that's mostly immersed in water, but through some unknown means, you could raise the island out of the water, go in a cave and collect this giant pink egg. Um, you could collect that along with, I think, five other eggs and a giant ice key, which you could find in Freeze Easy Peak, which was like the giant ice world that you could go to in that game. And it would unlock things in the sequel. And the way you would do it, and this took me watching a few different YouTube videos and trying to put the pieces together and everything. It was meant to be this concept called hot swapping because the way the N64 worked is you could take the cartridge out of the console yeah. with the power still on and it would retain its memory for up to 10 seconds. So you would remove Banjo-Kazooie and then put Banjo-Tooie in and the items would somehow transfer over. Hmm. Now where the mistake was is that this this was this could be done on an N64 that was made pre-1999. The problem is in 99, Nintendo changed some of the circuitry around where instead of only having or instead of having 10 seconds of memory, it would only have one. Ugh. And Banjo-Tooie came out in 2000, a year after this happened. So mm. it basically eliminated the whole stop and swap thing. So what they did was for the N64 version, you could find these hidden cartridges in the game and all you would have to do is break them open and those items would be there. Okay. And then you could use them for some type of – it wasn't a required thing. It was just kind of uh, you know, a cool feature. Like if you found the ice key, you would unlock this vault that had a magic creature that you would take to one of the shamans. And it would turn Kazooie, who is the bird who's in Banjo's backpack, it would turn her into a dragon. Hmm. So just little okay. little things like that. And they – when they released it on Xbox uh, Arcade, they basically, if you bought both games, it would unlock those hidden areas in Banjo-Kazooie and you could just go get the items. So that was, I remember, a really big story because yeah, everybody was trying to figure out what the whole thing meant. And then, yeah, but, but didn't the N64, I mean, I hate to, to cut you off, but I'm trying to figure this out as you're talking about it. Didn't have the N64 have a um, memory backup system that you could plug into the actual controller? Why didn't they utilize that to be able to save the memory to switch out the games? That's actually a very good point. None of the YouTube videos I watched mentioned anything about that. I mean, I'm I, right about that, right? Didn't the Nintendo 64 have a a, a back, uh, like a memory backup for the? I the, think so. Hmm. I think they did. But see, my my thought was, and I know you might be conceding by copying from Sega, but why not just do what they did with Sonic and Knuckles? Just make Banjo Tooie a cartridge similar, where you can just plug Kazooie into it. And you're basically playing Banjo-Tooie, but you can go back into the old worlds and get the items. You're basically doing two games in one. Yeah, you had the original N64 memory card, which was called the uh, the Memory Card Plus that you would um, plug into the actual controller. Um, and it's so weird that why didn't they just utilize what was there instead of relying on a 10 second window of trying to switch out the, the game cartridge that would just make it so much easier. And at least in my mind to just utilize what's already there. I mean, 10 seconds to switch out a, a cart 
would be like, oh, like I'd be all bumbling trying to like get one out, yeah. like get the other Plus, one. Plus, I'd like, be scared I would screw up the whole system. Exactly. I mean, you got like ten seconds to make this thing happen. It's like that. I don't know. That just seems like that's like asking for trouble. Yeah. No, I I totally agree. Because you know when the the whole stop and swap thing turned out to really be nothing, there were there were a lot of angry people on the internet. And, you know, I was one of them because I remember I followed this story. There, there was this old website. I don't think it's around anymore. It was called the Rare Witch Project. And they're the ones who originally hacked into Banjo-Kazooie and found cheat codes you could put in to get all the items. Huh. But, you know, kind of going back to, to Banjo-Tooie itself, you know, it, I, I always use this analogy that what makes a sequel great is when you take what worked in the first one, keep it, but add just like just enough to it to make it feel more fresh. Yeah. And the big thing that they did with this game is in Banjo Kazooie, you know, you play like you primarily moved around as Banjo, but you could do attacks where, you know, where Kazooie would pop out of the backpack and shoot eggs or, you know, peck enemies with their beak or whatever. But in Tui, you can actually separate the two. Like you can play as just banjo or just kazooie, because there are certain there are certain um, what's the word I'm thinking for uh, objectives that you can only do with banjo. Like say you have to find something and carry it in your backpack and take it to a certain point, or you have to fly somewhere that's you know too high up for banjo, like both banjo and kazooie to go, but kazooie can get there herself easily. Yeah. So when you when you add that and then you add in, um, you know, all the different transformations you can do, like in I know in Witchy World, you can transform into a giant van. Um, there's a dinosaur world where you can transform into a giant T-Rex that, that add, you know, fun, fun variety to it. And, you know, I, I've I kind of feel bad for this game because it's so good and I've been playing it. I played it extensively yesterday. And I'd almost forgot how good it was compared to the original. But I think it's one of those cases where the original was just so, I don't want to say ahead of its time, but it just added so much to the platforming genre that its sequel never quite got the credit that it deserved. Well, that's the thing about, you know, the N64 era and what, uh, you know, Super Mario did so well was to move the platforming genre into a 3d environment which was not easy to do i mean you look at what happened with sonic and things like that and um uh some of the other uh sort of you know mario-esque platforming put in a 3d world was like um you know the crash bandicoot series and things like that so um, in order to make that genre work, to be able to do it well was definitely an accomplishment for that time. So even with all the flaws and everything, you got to look at what these what these programmers and these guys had to work with at the time, and to be able to pull it off as well as they did. I mean that that says something. Oh, for sure. And then to try it, something new, like, you know, the stop and swap thing. I mean, just to try something new in the middle of trying to figure out a whole different way of gaming was, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> like these guys had a lot on their plate. And I mean, this was at the time where like Rare could do no wrong. Yeah. I was such a huge fan of this company back in the day. Like whatever game they would release, even if it was a game that I would have no interest in otherwise – I would buy it just because it had that little R with the the gold border around it. Yeah. Like I would get it. <laughs> and you know, That's I, I totally I give Capcom <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> something like that. Um, but yeah, to talk a little bit about the development, it was developed by Rare and designed by Greg Males, who previously worked on Banjo Kazooie. Uh, it started in June nineteen ninety eight. Some features that were originally cut during the development of Banjo-Kazooie, such as some of its world uh, in a multiplayer game mode, was instead integrated into Banjo-Tooie. That's another thing that I like about Banjo-Tooie is its variety of minigames. Yeah. With, with Kazooie, there weren't really any. You just kind of went into the world, got your collectibles left, and moved on to the next one. But with Banjo-Tooie, 
one of the cool features is you can actually in select areas pull Kazooie out of your backpack and use her as a gun. Well, that's used for many, you know, a lot of mini games um, in Banjo-Tooie. That there's some, you know, sh first person shooter type stuff, um, all, all kinds of cool things. And, you know, and to kind of move on to the reception of it, uh, it was critically acclaimed and sold more than three million copies worldwide. Um, Johnny Liu of Game Revolution considered Banjo-Tooie to be less repetitive than Donkey Kong 64, which a lot of people don't like, but I'm I'm one of the few that seem to. Um, and a worthy successor to Banjo-Kazooie. Nintendo Power referred to it as the perfect cross between Donkey Kong 64 and Banjo-Kazooie, noted that it features less backtracking between levels than DK64. Um, some of the scores that it got, um, IGN gave it a 9.4 out of 10, GameSpot 9.6, Nintendo Power gave it a 9, Game Rankings 91.3%, and Metacritic a 90 out of 100. So, wow. um, oh, and at the 2000 GameSpot Game of the Year Awards, it got Best Platformer. Wow. So, you know, widely praised game, and it, it deserves all of it, but when I say that I feel like it doesn't get the credit it deserves, I feel like when people talk about these type of games, people will only talk about the original one. Yeah. And not and not so much the sequel. But you know, I, I love it. I was glad that, you know, I went back and revisited it. I definitely want to play more of it. Um, as far as I wanna say I gave Banjo Kazooie maybe a nine. I would give this one an eight and a half. It's not bad. For so, and I would say I knock it a little bit again for the frame rate issues, and, and and you know more of like the technical side of things, but still a very very good game. And I think anybody who missed out on this game should definitely play it. You know, if you have an N sixty four and not an Xbox three sixty or Xbox One. Yeah, I still recommend the N64 version, but keep in mind that the the system struggles a bit as the game moves on. I wonder why um, they don't re-release this stuff because it was Nintendo, uh, you know, originally out on the Nintendo. Why doesn't Nintendo get with Rare and re-release this stuff for the Switch? Because this would be perfect fodder for like. You know, re-releasing this stuff to a younger public that maybe was too young to experience this the first time around. Oh, that would make me so happy if they did that. So so happy. Because like I, you know, there was a lot of great games that were out in the, in the eighties and nineties that you know kids didn't get to experience the the first time around. This seems like it would be right up on that list. No, oh, absolutely. Like this and the original. I would love to be able to play both of these on the Switch. Yeah. And and the thing is, what what is Rare really doing now? Well, they did do... Um, what did Rare just... Some kind of pirate game. Rare pirate game. <laughs> um, I, I'm, sea of I'm Thieves. Looking, yeah, it was Sea of Thieves that just came out uh, in March. Um, I heard a lot of good things about this game, but I also heard it's very good when you first play it but it gets boring very quickly yeah it says here a new game sea of thieves which was a multiplayer adventure game marketed as the best game that rare has ever made wow was introduced at e3 that year it was delayed at the following year's conference surprise there and was released on march 20th of this year to mixed reviews that was something rare was notorious for pushing stuff back because I want to say Banjo-Tooie was pushed back a full year. Because it was supposed to come out in 99. Yeah. And then they pushed it back. It may not have been quite a year. It might have been like eight or nine months. But I do remember that they pushed it back. And I was... I probably threw a mouse across the room. <laughs> yeah, but honestly, I think game developers actually need to go back to that model of not releasing a game until it's fully ready to be released to the public. Because we've gotten into this whole thing, you know, the last decade or so of they basically put out half finished games and release patches. And I'm sorry, I'm not going to pay full price for a half finished game. Do like, I mean, that I think that's why people 
get behind Blizzard so much because Blizzard will hold on to a game for a decade if they don't think it's ready to be put out into the public. I mean, look at Diablo 3. Hell, they worked on that game for literally a decade before they released it. And, you know, it turned out to be this really awesome game that I still play to this day since the day it came out. And I'm still like, I love to have a Diablo 4, but I know I'm probably going to be 55 years old before it comes out. But you know what? I'm okay with that because when I'm 55 and that game comes out, it's going to be freaking awesome. Uh, What episode would we be on Uh, around that time? We're in well, Nerd Cave Retro. By that time, we'll be talking about like PlayStation 4 games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's crazy is within the next two years, I think we could consider, you know, the GameCube to be because I, I put a I put a 20-year limit on it. Ah, uh, that's right. We're in 2018, aren't we? <laughs> oh, so let's see, GameCube came out in 2001, mm-hmm. so I guess 2021. So yeah. still Still a couple of years before I can start throwing like Luigi's Mansion and Pikmin on the list. <laughs> well, I think I still have roughly about 600 NES games to go through before we, uh, before I move on to any other systems. So I think I've yeah. got quite a few episodes to go before we hit that 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 uh, um, that that wall of running out yeah. of stuff and having to move forward. No, oh, for sure. But yeah, that's um, that's my review of Banjo Tooie. Very fun game. Very fun game. I've never played any of the Banjo-Kazooie games, but listening to you talk about it makes me want to play them, and I think it might be one of those games. Like, I have a Nintendo 64, and I don't have too many games for it because, you know, I love the games I do have, like the, um, you know, Resident Evil 2 and, um, what was it, Rogue Squadron. Uh, the Star mm-hmm. Wars game, and of course Shadows of the Empire, which is still probably one of the best Star Wars games ever made. Um, oh, for sure. But I, there are a lot of games I missed for the Nintendo 64, and if I run across these, I'm definitely going to snatch them up. No, absolutely. I, you, I I think you would like the Banjo games. Yeah, but the bad thing They're is, really is I don't run across an, uh, an N64 games like I used to. Um, you know, five, six years ago, going to the flea market, you know, you would trip over, like, Nintendo 64s and Nintendo 64 games, even, like, Super Nintendo games and Nintendo games. You used to be able to trip over these things. And now, mm-hmm. you know, like, I go to the flea market and maybe one out of every six, seven trips, I'll actually find something worth buying. And that's, yeah. you know, it's weird that, like, over the last couple of years, like, you just can't find anything anymore. Yeah. No, I I, I feel you on that one. I hate it. I like, I like finding treasures. <laughs> and I feel like I waste my time when I go to the flea market and, like, there's nothing there. And the people that do have stuff, like, my local flea market, there's this one guy there that has... Um, you know, a gaming booth right in the middle of the flea market. And he always has the same stuff and it's always way overpriced. And I'm, I'm just like, I'm not buying this. I'm not going to pay what you're asking for, for this. Like last time I went, there were a couple of games I wanted to get that I knew he had that I was going to go in there and just offer him like, you know, bottom dollar for him and just be like, look, dude, I've been in here every week for the last two years and it's still sitting here no one's gonna buy this so just give it to me for the you know whatever price i'm offering you just to get it out of here i yeah it's crazy when you see stuff because there have been games like i have a local retro gaming store here and i'll see games just sit there for Mm -hmm. months and months and nothing ever like no one ever comes in to get it like maybe if you just knock the price down a little bit i might actually you know (laughs) might actually walk out with this thing it's like i was telling joey image when i was in new jersey and i was at that retro shop up there you know i was looking at you know they had a really good copy of legend of zelda in the case um just sitting there and it had a $24 price tag on it. And I'm like, that's reasonable to me. I would pay $24 for Zelda here where I live. 
the retro shop that's near me, I love that retro shop. Don't get me wrong. I love going in there. I love the people there. But when you have five copies of Legend of Zelda and you have a $50 price tag on them and it's the same copies every time I go in there, you're not going to move them. Lower the price. Nope. It's not worth 50 bucks. No, it's not because there are so many out there. Uh, it just drives me nuts. It's it's that thing where people, just because it says Zelda on it, people think that it's worth a ton of money and it's not. Yep. I'm not, and I'm not in this for the money. And I want people to know that I don't buy games to turn around and sell them. I buy games because I want to have them. And I don't yep. want to overpay for something that I know for a fact is not worth that much. So that's that's my whole argument against the thing. I hate when I start collecting stuff and then the price starts to skyrocket because everybody else, you know, comes in thinking that they have gold because I want it or people like us want it. You know, it, it just drives me crazy. People just suck. Yeah, there were 10 million copies of Legend of Zelda floating out there in the world. I could probably, you know, find one in every attic in, in America. Yep. So don't charge me 50 bucks for a copy of something that's not worth that much. So rant over. I'm sorry. I just had to get that out. <laughs> I've had a rough week. No, Forgive no. me. <laughs> no, it's understandable. No, it's, it's all good. But uh, next week I am, I think I am going to go ahead and do Ninja Gaiden 2 since that's what I've been playing the most lately. So I'm really excited to talk about that game because everybody knows that Ninja Gaiden is my white whale. And one of these days I will actually finish that game. I'm going to, but I don't know how long it's going to take, but you know, we'll see. Uh, but Derek, um, I didn't get to see your stream last night or the night before uh, your Star Wars Day stream. How did that go? It actually went really well. Um, for those who were uh, listening last week, um, I got to do a live episode of my show, The Derek Diamond Experience, at the Blue Wahoo Stadium where I work. Uh, we did our Star Wars night. Um, the night itself actually went really well. Uh, a lot of people wrote in some some nice things. Um, doing the podcast was fun. I had um, one of my coworkers who was the on-field MC. For the night, he was also a huge Star Wars fan, so he joined me, and we just, you know, talked, and yeah, we we had fun. I had uh, two of my other coworkers hijack the show, <laughs> but that, that was pretty fun. Um, but I, I'm going to be releasing the audio version of it this week, so you'll get a you get a chance to listen to it. But it it, it was really cool. We're also doing in August. We're going to do a superhero night, um, and I'm probably going to do another live show then as well. Awesome. And I did get to finally, uh, I got to listen to the entire part one and part two of the survey panel that we did for your show a couple of months ago. And if you haven't listened to that, you're missing out. That is some, um, you get to hear what it's like to make. If you ever wondered what it's like to make a movie, go listen to that podcast. You get to hear uh, about every step of the way of the making of survey. And just some funny banter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun. I, I actually want to go back and listen to it again because I had such a good time reliving it. And um, the kudos, sir, your your show is killing it, and you're doing great work over there at the Derek Diamond Experience. I'm jealous. Well, I, I appreciate that, and you know, next thing you know, it'll be episode 200, I and <laughs> I might, I might, I might lose all my friends that night. But you know what? That's that's okay. Um, but as far as the pop culture palette, uh, we just released an episode last um, last Saturday, which was uh, me basically giving um, it was me and Joey Image talking about um, you know uh, well no wait was that the I'm so confused on which episodes just came out. Let me look at our uh, pop culture palette page, make sure I'm talking about the right one. Because I did do the uh, M the one episode with Joey Image. Uh, yeah, that was it. Or I talked about my um, New Jersey trip with Joey Image. And uh, Steve Scott was back for the night. Um, he's back Woo! in America for a couple of months. And um, he came back on the show to tell us all about his time in Europe and uh, working on Normandy Gold. All the stuff that he's working on now. So uh, if you're any kind of, uh, you know illustrative artist or you know you're interested in comic book art and all that kind of stuff please 
uh, listen to the Pop Culture Palette, even the old episodes when Steve was a regular host. Um, you know, he is one of the most talented people on planet Earth, and um, I, I wish him all the best in the world. And I wish we could have him on the show every week, but I know that him living over in uh, where is he? He was living over there near Paris now, and um, it's really hard to to get him on the show because it's like a 12-hour difference, and whenever we yeah. record here, it's like 3.30 in the morning over there, so he hasn't been on very often, but go listen to that episode. It's episode 176. Um, it's at PCPRadio.com and at PCP Show on Twitter, um, and that's going to just about do it for this week, so Derek, anything else you want to throw out there before we go? Um, no, I don't think so. I think I'm good. Well, let me go ahead and do this here. And if you would like to email us, you can email us at nerdcaveretro at gmail.com. We got no emails to read this week, people. You're slacking. I like reading emails, so send them in to us. Uh, you can find us at nerdcaveretro.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at nerdcaveretro, at jfunktastic, and at Derek underscore diamond. And we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash nerdcaveretro. So, Derek, please... Tell them what it's all about. May the way of the hero lead to the Triforce. You've been listening to a Nerd Cave Network production.